We have just a few days left of this retreat, and today the uh, corpse of Bernard Jones is coming to reside in the Chapel of Rest, the kind of auspicious ending to uh, winter's retreat, or however you want to see it. <laughs> <coughs> For a Buddhist monk, uh, we always consider these uh, as a opportunities and uh, blessings. Where maybe average people, uh, you know, would consider it ominous. The death, the uh, dead bodies, uh, anything connected with the ending of a condition is either ignored or feared. It's a mystery, isn't it? When somebody dies, what happens? <coughs> and I've been asked this question so many times, you know, what do Buddhists believe about when somebody dies, where do, where do they go? They don't have a soul, so what gets reborn? Uh, if you don't have a soul, there's nothing to get reborn, and you just disappear into oblivion, or is there some essence or substance or spirit that carries on into the next life? And so this is all speculation, isn't it? It's uh, one can one can uh, you know speculate or prefer various uh, scenarios. So what I'm pointing to is right now, you know, this is uh, here and now. Pachubana Dhamma, the body's not dead, at least this body here. <coughs> and so this is reflecting on the way it is. You know, it's not speculating about what, where will, what will happen to me when I die, because I haven't died yet, or physically died. You see what I mean? I'm pointing to, it's an honest uh, reflection, noticing the way it is, rather than carrying on ideas that you get from Buddhism or any other religion or philosophy. <coughs> For us now, death is uh, in the future. That the physical death is uh, inevitable, but uh, it's certain that every one of us will die. So that is, uh, you know, that is a thought in the present. This body is a, my, I will die in the future. That is, uh, I'm creating that in the present. And yet it is a fact that everything that is born dies, everything that arises ceases. Uh, this is the reflection on anicca. And when we do with vipassana, meditation, reflecting on the way it is of conditioned phenomena, sankhara, sape sankhara anicca. And so they, we contemplate the births and deaths 
that are going on in the present rather than speculating about what's going to happen to me uh, when my body dies. Because the me is a construction, is it in the present? If I'm this body, this body is mine, what happens when, when you die? And if I don't know when physical body dies. So this is n noticing the way it is, not knowing, because the conditions for physical death of this body are not present at this time. This, this body's living, breathing, fire elements operating, <coughs> blood circulating, nervous system is operating, the senses operate accordingly, and uh, this is the way it is. So this is like reflecting on the way it is. If I say I'm living right now and my senses are like this, and then that that adds a sense of of me as a person to uh, what's happening. But that is a artifice that we create, isn't it? The me and mine, the, the identity with the uh, five khandhas is, uh, is an artifice. We create that onto experience. Me and mine is something we create. Yeah, but the, the perception of me and mine, the thought of me and mine is a sankhara itself, isn't it? It arises and ceases. If I stop creating, you know, stop thinking me and mine, I am, this is my body, uh, and so forth. If I stop creating these thoughts, what remains is, if I stop thinking, in other words, and just listening and being aware, then, uh, then the, the, I, I'm not adding anything to this moment. I'm not compounding or projecting onto anything, I'm just noticing there's awareness, satipanya, wisdom comes from this, discerning, seeing things as they are, rather than speculating, uh, fearing, dreading, hoping, expecting, theorizing, possibilities. In uh, the investigation of desire, you know, the second noble truth, where we we observe the nature of gamadana, bhavadana, vipavadana, this dana then is, you know, something that arises and ceases in the present. And that's what we we you know, out of ignorance and not not understanding. Uh, things as they are, we identify with with our desires. It's my soul, and my soul. I create my soul. It's a it's a desire. Uh, me as a special, unique, eternal soul in the universe is a is a creation. Maybe desire to perpetuate myself uh, forever as an independent. Uh, 
entity or independent soul. And I was brought up like this in Christianity where <coughs> the, the idea then was that when you die, your soul goes, you know, either goes to hell if you've been bad or goes to heaven if you've been good. And your soul lives with God for eternity. And what is a soul? Well, it's, it's in, is it like one soul or is the soul the same for everybody or will I retain my unique personal qualities? Does my soul, is, my, is that my unique personal identity so that when I die there'll be this uh, tomato soul operating forever living, in, I don't know what probably what the Christian God does to Buddhist monks. taking a risk. <laughs> and my mother says, you're a baptized Christian. You're a Christian. You have to be a Christian. You're baptized. <laughs> and, uh, and I told her, I said, Look, you, you, I got baptized when I was an infant. I didn't know what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have any choice in the matter. <laughs> so all this is is artificial, isn't it? This sense of me and my personal soul. Even God is an artifice. And uh, a soul, my unique soul is an artifice in heaven and hell. These are creations of the human mind. There's nothing wrong with them. I'm not, you know, saying that that's wrong to do that. But it's uh, the, with reflective meditation, you're just noticing the way it is. That, uh, you know, heaven, uh, one can conceive heaven as, a, as a, some kind of ethereal place that you, your soul goes to. Now that is a creation, isn't it, of my mind. Maybe I took the idea from somebody else, you know. Obviously, I, it wasn't an original idea with any of us, but it, it, uh, maybe it's an unquestioned assumption that this is what happens. Or hell can be seen as another realm of, of uh, you know, misery, unmitigated misery uh, forever. <coughs> so these are words, aren't they? Hell, if you're bad uh, and you're not a Christian, then you go to hell and suffer unmitigated pain for eternity. Now that is a heavy creation, if you ask me. That is really brutal. <laughs> but yet people quite willing to believe it. Because people don't know, do we? We don't know uh, uh, what happens when, you know, is there a God? Is God a, a person? Uh, a separate entity? Uh, <coughs> an all-powerful father? Uh, what is it? Is it a spirit? Is it a... You know, and this is then we, we think about it, we try to figure it out with thought. 
And we're stuck in that linear trap of the intellect. That thought goes on to another thought. Thought is dualistic. Thought divides, separates. Its function is to do that. That's what thinking is about. It's, it's uh, you know, this is bigger, that smaller, better, worse, and so forth. And, and in terms of condition, uh, experience. You know, in a conditioned realm, some things are better than others, and <coughs> bigger or smaller, or ref- more refined or more coarse, or whatever so the conditioned realm has this you know it's a, it has qualities earth fire water and air it has uh, you know, all these different uh, combinations of conditioned phenomena produce and manifest in various ways a subtle mental psychic physical sensual they all are what they are there and in vipassana we're us to contemplate phenomena not in its infinite varieties in qualities and quantities but in in its in the characteristics that all phenomena has which is, that all phenomena have in common which is anicca dukkha anatta and that it, it make it's putting it into that into a way that we can reflect on conditioned phenomena, not just endlessly kind of sort through it and and uh, be caught up in its infinite varieties, which is endless. I mean, modern science allows us to to explore phenomena endlessly. You know, nanotechnology, which is you know microscopic and uh, macroscopic, and telescopes that that can look out into outer space and microscopes that can can look at, at minute, minute uh, unseeable things through the normal eye and it goes on and on into into uh, small and big vast grand into microscopic So in the the result of contemplating a Nietzsche, all conditions are impermanent, is not to convince ourselves. We're not trying to convince ourselves because the Buddha said that, but to to really notice within the experience we have in the present the the way things actually are in consciousness, you know, like thoughts or emotions, memories physical sensations, sensory experiences are like this. You, you know, you can't fix them in any way. They're, they they change when you're observing them, when you're the witness of them. Then you're not, you're not uh, petrifying anything. You can't stop their movement. You can only go with it and notice that whatever arises ceases. You can hold to a view that something's permanent, is the thing. You know, with the intellect, we can say, uh, I have a permanent soul. And, um, and then uh, live with that assumption. 
you know, and believe that I have a permanent soul that's separate from every, you know, it's not like anyone else's soul. But in terms of um, meditation, that very, that's a thought, isn't it? That is, uh, is not, we're not saying whether it's true or false, but it's a thought. It is what it is, in other words. I have a permanent soul, unique soul, that will never die, is, uh, is that's thinking. Isn't it? If you don't think that, What, what's it like when you don't think at all? When thought ceases? So this is where the sati sampachanya or awareness is the, is the way that the Buddha pointed to. To, to pay attention to the way things are rather than becoming absorbed and fascinated and repelled by the qualities of the condition. Because the uh, condition phenomena, it's you know, it has has qualities, and therefore it's, we can become fascinated, interested, repelled by those qualities. So the sense world, as we explore it, is you know, it's beautiful, ugly, everything. You know, it's the qualities of it are changing. A baby, when a baby's born, isn't it? We tend to, they, when people bring their newborn babies here, you know, babies are quite beautiful. <coughs> you know, you look at them, you like to look at them. Um, everybody likes to look at them. Uh, people stand around and, and talk, baby talk to them. And oh, they, they, this is because they're attractive, and they're, that's the beginning of life, isn't it? <coughs> Generally, babies are, you know, attractive to us. We love babies, and we like to hold them and look at them, and say silly things to them. But um, corpses. different because the corpse is the end isn't it? it's the breaking up of the elements and so when uh, Bernard's corpse arrives here today you know important thing to when we meditate is to observe how it affects us there's no way, you know, how should I feel about it or what should I think about it. I'm not going to tell you what you should think. <laughs> but observe what you do, you know, what it is to, to look at a dead human body. And what it brings up in, in terms of emotional reactions or thoughts, memories. As the observer, as the witness, the knowing, rather than than uh, trying to get, you know, figured out or get sentimental or try to be like a Buddhist and say, oh, it's 
you know, it's, it's uh, you know, analyze it from uh, from a Buddhist uh, thinking mind. Trust in the awareness, uh, the immediate, uh, you know, the visual presence that uh, on contact. Just be the witness to that, whatever you feel or don't feel. So this awareness then is the is the uh, you know then awareness must be the the gate to the deathless. It must be the 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 way we can transcend the conditioned world. That we can actually observe conditioned phenomena, observe the creation of ourselves. See it in terms of Dhamma, see that the, uh, thoughts arise and cease, emotions arise and cease, sensory experience, uh, contact through the eyes, ears, nose, tongue and body. These, these, these impingements uh, cause reactions, they arise and cease, there's nothing permanent. And the knowing of this, the knowing of all that is subject to rising, subject to ceasing isn't is no longer theoretical or just reiterating Buddhist uh, ideals but you know we we are noticing the reality of it so in uh, in uh, just creating myself in the present if I don't create myself as a person What's what's left? You know, there, there's consciousness operating. There's sati, consciousness, awareness, consciousness, and then panya, wisdom, discerning, it's intelligence. And I don't create that. That's not a personal quality. I can't claim it that 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 wisdom is me or that I'm a wise person or anything like this that is uh, then that is going back into into that realm of dualism of thought of creation creating uh, in, uh, building up artifices adding to the moment putting projecting onto it something so that's why uh, during this Retreat, I, I keep emphasizing the trust in this awareness before you become anybody. And that, of course, uh, takes the sati sampachanya, the reflective ability and, uh, and attention to the in the present, to the way it is.
Also ask yourself, can, like, can one condition know another? Can one desire know desire? Can Gamadanha know what Bhavadanha is? Or Vipavadanha? You know, these are, these are kind of uh, self-inquiry approaches, but, but it's, um, it's worth doing because, so because we, we don't know who we are and we, and we seek identity. We want to define ourselves in some way. And so we, we take roles, we assume positions, we have, you know, we attach to memories and, uh, and various identities that we hold to because it gives us a sense of knowing who we are. I know what I am. But not knowing, not knowing what you are, what's that like? N- you, ca- you can observe. There's an awareness of not knowing. It's interesting when people, you know, people that never meditate, and you start questioning their reality, they get, they can become absolutely uh, panic-stricken because the, you know your what what you depend on for security, knowing who you are, where you live, your identity, your position. This gives this uh, false sense of security. I know my place. I know my position. I know who I am. And then Buddha comes along and starts, "Do you really? What are you?" <laughs> so it uh, it can be you know people. I remember when I first started questioning this, became quite frightened because you know one was. The kind of the the things the perceptions one depended on that gave a sense of security and a and a world that that seemed fairly stable and certain started falling apart. Everything started kind of moving and changing, and 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 personally, emotionally, wasn't conditioned for that. It was too frightening. So we, you know, we're frightened by the unknown, by alien forces, by ghosts, by uh, mystery, the dark. And so this fear is a, and death is is a mystery to us. Is that at this point we, physically, we haven't died, so we don't know. So when people don't like to look at corpses anymore, it's not, you know, in the West we've tidied up the funeral practices so that you, ha- you know, you, ha- you cover it up and um, take it to the crematorium 15 minutes and somebody says, gives a eulogy and tells how wonderful the person was and then and then the organ music starts and the curtains close around the coffin. 
and then you get up and go out, <laughs> go to the pub or something. <laughs> so it, it, you don't have to see anything unpleasant, you know. The usually crematoriums are, you know, kind of velvet curtains and marble floors, things like that. So that they uh, have kind of try to make them attractive or elegant or suitable. No skeletons, no, uh, no, nothing that represents death. It's more like you know um, a marble crypt, really. Um, and you, you know, an organ music, kind of sentimental. Soothing and calm, not having to look at the. And one time I went to, a, I was invited years ago in Bangkok to a funeral of somebody I didn't know. When I was staying at some temple where I was invited, a wealthy person had died, and I went to this. Um, <coughs> before they cremated, they opened the coffin in front of everybody, and. Um, this, it was a woman, about 50-year-old woman. They had a photograph of her. And, and she'd been kept for 100 days or so. And her corpse was in a... Well, as soon as they lifted the lid off the coffin, this terrible odor came out of rotting corpse. And then the monks, we were invited up first to look at this corpse. So I went up and it was... You looked into the coffin, there was a rotted, a rotting corpse, kind of green, slimy, hideous, uh, and smelly, you know, really stinking thing in this coffin. And there was a photograph of her, you know, which was kind of a 50-year-old woman. Um, when she was alive... <laughs> And then the then the reality of this this rotting corpse, and uh, I've always remembered that it left such a strong impression. Now, some Westerners would be generally horrified by that, but I was I was impressed because there was something very real and helpful about that. You know, to to really look, to experience, to notice. To have that right in front of you, not not prettied up, not you know l locked away from you, but the reality of it there, you know, and and given the the right to you know, it wasn't a kind of secret funeral or some kind of of right that was going on behind the you know screens that was illegal. It was it was part of religious custom part of Buddhism, funeral rites. And it was, uh, to me, uh, you know, something that left, I can still, you know, left a strong memory. Powerful memory of that event. And I, and I admired the way that, that even the, the relatives, most of them went up to look at the corpse. Some people couldn't do it, you know. Some people, just <laughs> 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 uh, 
but to others, the monks, we all, you know, we're expected to. Imagine, you know, no, I can't stand it. <laughs> so, uh, this I think is very healthy. You know, this to me is like a supagamatan as a, as a reflection in meditation. Is a very, you know, is is looking at that, bringing into consciousness the, the decaying, the non-beauty of the human body or of, of uh, animals or physical life. In a modern society that wants only the pretty and the beautiful and the sterilized and the fragrant and the, you know pleasant side of experience. You know, when you look at our life here in, in England, so it, there is an enormous effort to keep out of our consciousness anything that is depressing, unpleasant, ugly. <coughs> when, when we go to India, isn't it, and it's... Uh, in India, they don't, they're much more matter-of-fact. The facts of life are pretty much uh, out in the open. And, of course, uh, Varanasi is a, a fascinating city, uh, famous for, you know, where Hindus believe that they go to die there and have their ashes thrown into the Ganges River. So you, you know, you go to Benares and they've got two burning ghats. One where, uh, one, one burning ghat is, is not so busy, but it's where the poor people get burned, and then the other one is where the richer ones get burned. And, uh, and it's, it's fascinating to see, the, you know, the, the corpses burning. It's not beautiful, you know, it's, it's not, it doesn't kind of delight the mind. I'm not a ghoul or anything that finds joy in, in uh, ugly sights. But it is, for a meditator, it's a very powerful reflection on the way it is. And, and bringing into consciousness, you know, before this body dies, the, the, the impermanence. Of of uh, of a human body and seeing it being burned, being cremated. And then in uh, one of the customs, if uh, like a, a pregnant woman that <coughs> dies, and holy men and babies, they don't cremate them; they throw their corpses in the Ganga River. So uh, while we were there two years ago in in Varanasi, walk along the ghats, and there was a, a a woman's corpse lying there in the in the river. It was horrible. It was a pregnant woman, and uh, every day we'd pass it and get more decayed, and then. It get moved along somehow. 
I mean, it was shocking, actually. Because <laughs> it's so, so different than, uh, you know, we wouldn't, wouldn't allow that here. But the uh, thing I liked about living in Varanasi was was this. It was, you feel this is a place where spirituality or this, you know, something is a powerful uh, presence of, of, you know, where the, the whole emphasis is, it has some kind of spiritual quality to it. So even the Ganga River is a sacred river. You know, so, and then the, and the Ghats, everything, is, there's so many shrines, uh, different, you know, different Hindu shrines or Buddhist shrines or whatever, there's everywhere, there's uh, Shiva lingams and Bodhi trees wrapped with cloth and, and um, ancient ones and modern ones. Everything is, it has some kind of presence that reminds you I've never really lived very long in such a, a kind of powerful place as, as uh, the several months I spent in Varanasi. <laughs> and the presence of death, because that's, you know, old people, you know, they're... they're you know, if they can possibly, it's considered very auspicious to die in Varanasi. So they've got the houses of where p old people are dying. You know, old people have come to breathe their last in these places and then be cremated. So death is is you know it's very this is the great event that we all have to look forward to it's interesting to to in the west how we regard death as kind of something bad or um, evil in fact or it's a failure of some sort or you know it's 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 not a you know for polite conversation you don't mention it uh, you you know it's it's try we try to ignore and cover it over, uh, make it not so stark, so so shocking to us because you know human beings we don't we don't like reality. We don't really want to know, do we? We want illusions. Tell me a lie. Say everything is wonderful. You know, even when it isn't, you know, because we we fear reality, we we can't cope with it until we awaken, and in the awakened state, then then the the reality is enlightening. You know, we're seeing things as they are, not according to an ideal or to out of fear and 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 desire. So the desire to to live, <coughs> you know, we the tremendous desire to live, survive, be happy. And if we don't know these desires, you know, if we're just 
caught into them. You know, that's our, that we become our desires all the time. So death becomes the whip of a dunha. I don't want to know. I don't want to see it. I don't want to be there. Don't even say the word death because uh, I don't. It's, I can't bear it. It frightens me. It's unbearable. <coughs> Give me illusions. You know, like the, these science fiction novels or where you create all kinds of illusions for the, for the proletariat to grasp hold of, the common folk. You know, silly songs and sentiments and, and uh, visions and entertainments that, that make us feel okay. Delude us, keep us in the world of illusion. So awakening then is uh, is like this: it's taking, removing the illusion, and really observing. Sati sampatanya, reflecting on the way it is. Now it's not to to reflect on death as something bad or. Uh, ugly or a super gamaton isn't to make us depressed to, to you know just see how horrible the human body is and it's just filled with pus and blood and bones and it's all yucky and disgusting and that isn't a super gamaton that's just a, a, a projection isn't it of trying to you know feel a certain thing of disgust for for the the human body, but a supa really means looking, noticing the non-beautiful, like with the human body, isn't it? We so much effort is trying to look good, vanity, you know, to to make ourselves attractive, good-looking, um, presentable, clean and sanitary, smelling nice. Good manners and and the functions of the body are are you know are quite disgusting to us. So we you know we we don't like to to do those in public defecation, urination, and we we that's in private. We like to um, <coughs> we we allow ourselves to eat together. But actually, eating is a bit disgusting too. If you, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, but then the 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 excretory functions are, you know, we, polite society does not even mention them. And they embarrass us, and they, you know, because they're not beautiful. And we don't want ourselves to be identified with them, you know. Like, uh, if we, uh, we'd like our memory to be around how attractive we were, or, 
you know, what a nice person. But Sati Sambhachanya allows us to actually explore this, you know, the ugly, not as, as a kind of perversion of uh, relishing the, the, the nastiness of life, but in reflecting on the impermanence, the way things move, birth, babies are beautiful, the <coughs> youth, and, and that is, is uh, what we like, to be young, good-looking, healthy. And then the, as we get older, then, then we feel slightly embarrassed by the aging process. You know, so much cosmetic surgery now is, uh, in, if you want to make lots of money, become a cosmetic surgeon. People desperate to take the wrinkles out and make themselves more uh, attractive because it's possible now to, to uh, you know, improve your looks through surgery. <coughs> So Sati Sampachanya is not not uh, an attack on anything, but a reflection on the way it is. And the liberation comes through this, this kind of this awareness. The other doesn't liberate; it merely creates illusions and and perpetuates uh, illusions about ourselves and the world we live in. Where the awakening is stepping outside the world of illusion, no longer creating them, no longer believing them. And so the, bi the biggest illusion we have is self. That I am this person. And so that the, the reflection on I am Now notice that this this is this is this is uh, these are two words, English words I and am, and uh, a certain truth to that, you know, in terms of communication on a conventional level. And then I am Ajahn Sumato. Then it's getting personal, isn't it? All of us can say I am, and it's not personal yet. But then it becomes personal when I put a name to it. I am Ajahn Sumato. It's noticing how this works. I am a man. I am an American. I am a Buddhist monk. I am a good person, a bad person. So, good, bad, American, Buddhist monk, nun, male, female. These are, then it's getting into division again, isn't it? Into uh, taking sides, extremes, dualism. I am is, is more a reflection on the reality of this moment. There's a sense of I am. 
this this presence before it becomes personal. But even the I am is an illusion. That's another creation. Now just exploring, you know, noticing the way it is, is um, by observing. And so Sati Sampachanya allows us to do this. This is the only way we can do it. You can't do it through analysis. You just go around from, with one, from one word to the next. And thinking too much always creates doubt and despair. Isn't it? Somebody, you know, the, the, um, if you think about anything too much, you can't do it anymore. Thinking goes from one word to the next, and it's linear. And as long as you identify with any memory, any perception, any condition, and you do not break through that illusion and you believe it or assume, make your assumptions um, uh, about that from that position, then, then you're caught in the, in the realm of birth and death. And that's where fear, fear of death, fear of failure, and the fear is going to haunt us in that realm, the death realm. So vanity, you know, it's it's what when we're vain, we're actually attaching to death. <coughs> you know, we think we're attaching to youth. You know, trying to make ourselves as young as possible, have cosmetic surgery, have organ transplants, have everything kind of. You know, maybe in the future they can have kind of genome therapies and stem transplants and all kinds of stem cell transplants and that where where the aging process will not happen. I hear people talking like that where we'll be able to stay young forever and uh, we'll and healthy and we'll be able to place replace all our worn out organs with modern new ones made out of stem cells from pigs or something. I feel the mind goes on en endlessly in you know, wanting to stay alive, preserve, and, and be young and beautiful forever. The vanity is, is, uh, is like that. It's it actually attaching to, to death. You think of it, because conditioned phenomena is about birth and death. They depend on each other. If you were never born, you would never die. Yeah. The reason why I, I'm old now is because I was born. People ask, you know, why, um, what ha you know, why do people have to suffer? You know, what what is their karma, past lives that they that they uh, have to suffer so much in this one? Um, why are some people born uh, with disabilities, blind, or various other things? And then we 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 go on. Well, it's the karma, you know. There's ways of of kind of explaining it in a mundane way. 
But it's because we're born. If you're born, you know, then you're subject to any anything, you know. It doesn't mean you're going to be born beautiful with complete healthy body that's going to function uh, with good health forever. It means that you the, the that being born means that we're going to experience old age, sickness, and death. And this is, you know, the Buddha. This is what awakened Prince Siddhartha from his illusions, from the delusions. Was the looking at the the old person, the the sick person, the corpse, and the uh, Meditator, meditating yogi, the monk. <coughs> so the monk then, or the samana, or the yogi, is contemplating this. Where, say, in past life, generally, you know, according to legend, uh, everything is arranged to promote use and happiness, excitement, romance, adventure. The arts, the aesthetics, the the uh, power, power politics, position, privilege, and then the uh, old person, sick person, corpse, and yogi. These are what they call the four. Messengers, four heavenly messengers. So th these are, you know, awakening us, you know, the, the from this from this illusion. Because these are signs to us within this human state to learn from, to recognize that the nature of conditioned phenomena is like this. What arises ceases. If if there's birth, then there's going to be old age, sickness, death. This is the natural uh, state of things on on the conditioned realm. All conditions are impermanent. So in this, through exploring this, just in terms of the here and now, just the, you know, in, in terms of what happens to us while we're still alive in these human bodies is to to um, reflect in this way. The ending, the cessation of a condition. Now this, uh, in the uh, Four Noble Truths, the cessation, cessation or neroda, it's peaceful. It's not a it's not hell or a blank or oblivion or anything bad. It's peaceful. It's blissful. Neroda. The third noble truth, the insight into that, is is one of peacefulness. It's not depressing. When everything ceases. What's left is peace.
and this you can prove to, for yourself through, through investigating these Four Noble Truths, through insight, not through thinking. So in, in, um, in my own practice, you know, exploring this, you know, the, the, um, the arising of self and the cessation of self, the sense of me, Ajahn Sumato, arises and ceases. Uh, emotions arise and cease. Uh, memories arise and cease in consciousness. And just that, uh, that uh, continuous, determined reflection on the arising and cessation, more and more the reality of cessation and we're non-arising, not seeking to be born again, but where there is cessation of non-arising, well, nothing's arising, but there is this peacefulness and no self. That can, that's realized in the present, and that's the point of the Buddha's teaching, was to realize this for yourself. It's reality, and it's not, not theory not a theory at all. Then cessation, niroda, satya, to be realized. What it, what's realization then? It's attention, isn't it? Noticing. Cessation is this. And, and then the Eightfold Path is, is right in front of us, isn't it? It's, it's non-arising. Through samaditi, right understanding, we no longer seek rebirth or caught in that incessant habitual uh, power of dhanha or desire because we've, we've, we've seen through it. We no longer seek to be reborn and constantly looking for something or trying to get rid of things through fear and ignorance. So then the Eightfold Path is uh, Samaditi Samasangapo the, the, this, this path is really awareness because the awareness is where we we are outside. We're no longer bound and deluded by the conditioned phenomena that we're experiencing. So when you know it's uh, the human karma of having human body and and senses. Is you know used to when I first started you know it just seemed hopeless you know because the power of this sense realm seemed so unrelentingly strong I couldn't see how you could ever get any perspective on it whatsoever just the the habit tendencies the the emotional power of my emotions and this and this body with all its demands its needs, its hunger, its thirst, its pain, its discomforts, and when it gets tired and 
and um, so many unpleasant feelings one has to experience through the the human body and then the world around the the threatening world of praise and blame you know living with other people in a society where where you're going to be offended upset by what people say or think and <coughs> where there's all kinds of possibilities for happiness and suffering just by uh, what people say and do the, the way the weather is, the successes and failures in the world. So the human condition seems to be such a totally powerful and relentless experience. How to get outside it, how to be liberated from it. When I tried to think about it, it seemed impossible. This one would have to resign yourself to it, really. Just do the best you can and do the best I can in my life. Hope that's a good enough kind of philosophy. Or in Vipassana meditation, it's no longer operating from the intellect. It's not analyzing or judging or, or trying to find a way out. You know how to delude myself enough, take drugs or something to live in a in a in a realm where I don't feel anything. I just feel blissed out or spaced out or whatever you want to call it all the time. Or is it in uh, awareness? Sati is the is the is the gate to the deathless. Well, when I first recognized well, sati, it was, seemed so weak and insubstantial. I couldn't sustain it. You know, how do you... Because the, the power of the emotions and the senses and that were so strong, and this sati was so weak, you easily just get thrown about, you know. It could be, so I could have moments of mindfulness, you know, just through peaceful situations controlling the environment to where nothing kind of too much was happening to me. I go on a meditation retreat or something like that, but you leave the meditation retreat and there it is, you know, the world bombarding you with its demands. <coughs> so, but then the the uh, this uh, reflection on four noble truths you know just to exploring what clinging what dana upadana is getting to know dana re recognizing and in that very recognizing of dana dana began to realize you know i'm not dana Dunha comes and goes. But what remains, what's always here is sati. This is the refuge, you know, this this has to be the refuge of this awareness. This is the only possibility we have within this state we're in as human beings to be freed from the the um, movement of the conditioned realm and be just trapped in and stuck into it. 
So when, when you talk about sati as a transcending, I don't mean transcending in some kind of theoretical way. But what I mean is that with sati, it, it allows us this perspective. It's not a denial of anything or rejection, but it, it puts us in the, it, it allows us to see things as they are. All conditions are impermanent. It's not a desire, it's, it's a natural state, it's not an artificial creation, it's not a theoretical ideal. Very real, very down to earth, includes everything, the, the beautiful, the ugly, the body, the feelings, perceptions, conceptions, consciousness, everything allows is allowed with sati, is the stronger, you know, as you recognize it and develop. So the, this uh, pavana is really the cultivation of sati. Through right understanding. So then the, the Eightfold Path, is not an impossible kind of ideal that nobody could ever hope to attain or achieve. It's very real and very practical. Here and now, it's not a remote kind of hope that we have before I die, I might realize the Eightfold Path, that kind of thing. Because it, it, the Buddha was pointing to here and now, not to developing something now to to get something in the future. So in developing in in Pavana then the the sati is the stronger. That sati if you recognize it and cultivate sati awareness, mindfulness then the right understanding, seeing things in the right way, and letting go of desire, not destroying desire, but letting desire go, let desire be what it is. Relationship to desire then is of knowing rather than becoming it. Because desire is the rebirth process, isn't it? And when we attach to desire, we're reborn again. So that's our soul in terms of what gets reborn when you die is desire, looking for some, something to be born again into. And you can see it in your mind. How when you, you know, the desire for something or other, the longing, the... the uh, wanting to control things, wanting uh, happiness, wanting success, wanting to be loved and appreciated or whatever, what, uh, wanting to get rid of anger and jealousy and fear. So there's three kinds of desires can be seen as from this perspective of birth and death, desire rises and ceases. It is born and it dies. When desire dies, 
when it ceases. Sati is still there, isn't it? It's not, so desire is not self. Not mine, I'm not desire. I have no soul then, don't need one. Don't want a, don't want one. Don't want to be a separate tomato soul for eternity up in, even if, even if the God would admit me into heaven forever. This is not an attractive scenario. <laughs> what would that mean? Born to death, probably. My vision, having to live with God for eternity, never sounded very attractive. <laughs> but they, uh, they'll see this as a, you know, the, this exploration. And the, the sati, actually, as you cultivate this path, the sati is is the strong, it, it's, it contains everything. It, and the sankars seem so ephemeral, so un, insubstantial. Where before, when I was operating from desire and self-view and, and delusion, then it seemed like the, the, the sankaras were the strong things, the body and the senses and the emotions. These were the, these were overwhelming, seemed hopelessly, strong and persistent and insistent and urgent. But as the faith and trust in the Sati Sampajanya increase, then and that is the real strength. That's the stab- stability. <coughs> the still point, the uh, freedom from suffering. Yet the the uh, conditions, they are what they are, you know, so the body gets old, dies, this, before it dies there's various sicknesses and weaknesses, failings and degeneration. But these are not, you know, if, if one has sati as a refuge, these are nothing to be feared. Because we're not claiming them anymore, or or uh, you know, trying to get rid of them, we're learning every opportunity to to no longer create delusions around what's happening, what impinges, what we're feeling and experiencing in the present. 